Welcome back to At Source, a community conversation that gets to the origin of matters that affect us the most. I'm your host, Kieran Cook, and together we'll be diving into health and wellbeing, gaining useful insights direct from the source. Tamsin Adding is a founder and community director of Miss Lolo, an interior design company that injects the joy of colour into homes and commercial spaces in New Zealand, Australia, the US and Canada. With a degree in design and national business awards to her name, she is an advocate for living boldly and authentically and ignoring the trends that come and go. It's an ethos she has always carried with her from being a celebrity fashion stylist to birthing her company. In this episode, we cover boldness, rejecting trends, running a business, empowering our kids to stand tall in themselves and dealing with health issues. Hi, Tamsin. Thanks so Hi. much for joining us today, or me today. Okay. Yeah, I should say for the At Source podcast. So this season, we've got a focus on authenticity. So it's going to be really interesting just to hear sort of how that comes through and how that sort of shapes through our conversation today. Uh, so look, I do love the way that you're a self-proclaimed person who isn't cool. We're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Uh, so let's <laughs> jump right in and ask about your boldness, because you know, um, there's got to be a fear factor in this for many people. You know, have you always been this way or is it just something you sort of learned over the years? No, I've always been this way. Um, even when I was little at school, I never cared if I was the cool kid or not. I just, it literally didn't enter my train of thought. I just didn't care. Mm. As long as I had friends, that was all that mattered to me. Yeah. So you didn't, yeah, uh, yeah. Just sort of got on with sort of being you, you do you. Yeah. As sort of say yeah and yeah. if they didn't people didn't like me I was like oh well yeah well, good yeah, yeah sweet ass yeah. yeah yeah I mean it's kind of a freeing thing as as well isn't it being able to rock on and uh you be you um yeah yeah I know and I think that's a personality type like some people are For sure. you know, affected a eh? if, if yeah if they're not liked by others and do seek out uh acceptance from peers and colleagues more than others too would you agree yeah, for sure. And yeah, it was just something that didn't ever enter my head about wanting to fit in, wanting to be cool, wanting to be in the cool groups. Mm. Just, yeah, just isn't yeah. part of my care factor in any capacity. Yeah. Okay. So so you've you got sort of a nice sort of independent streak. So you started out as a celebrity stylist. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about how that came about and what was that like? Um. Very randomly. It uh, wasn't a career path I set out for. So I um, took a position. Do you remember Dolly Magazine back yeah, in the day? It was like, yeah. Yeah. So I took a position at Dolly Magazine as an intern in Sydney. And within the first couple of days, there, well, the fashion editor at the time was a nightmare. And the junior fashion editor walked out. Uh, right. So it was me who went into the junior fashion editor role. And it was a baptism by fire. Oh, yeah. And then that's all I did. And then mm. That's all I did in Sydney. And then when I came back into New Zealand, they were like, oh, you've styled across Sydney. Great. Can you style this? And it was just, that's what I did. Yeah. My total fluke. Mm. So I was going to ask you, because I noticed you, correct me if I'm wrong, but on your LinkedIn profile, you've got three bachelor's degrees. And I was just sort of curious how they all kind of dovetailed into each other. Well, yeah, you've got a bachelor's degree in design, majoring in advertising and graphic design, right? Yeah. And then you've yeah. got a bachelor's degree in design and visual comms from Victoria University. Mm. <laughs> and then you've got this bachelor's degree in advertising from Massey. Oh, it was so that's a weird thing. So when I started university, it was originally Victoria. And during my four years, it became Massey. So we ended up with this double, you know, we ended up with a degree from both. But yep. it was the same degree, just called two okay. different things from two different universities. Okay. So the work that you yeah. did at the magazine, what mm. if that graphics kind of work that you did, the graphic design, yeah. would have been what would have sort of held you in good stead, right? To do Literally that. never, no, never touched uh-huh. it. And uh-huh. it, yeah, it was just um, all, yeah, literally all I was doing was dressing people. So there was oh. no graphic design element whatsoever. Oh, and even when I came through as a stylist in New Zealand, which I did for years, yeah, there was never a graphic design component at all. It was all just visual. Okay. Okay. So you were really thrown in the deep end, really, with this new work. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's just kind of random for you, right? Very just, random. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then you came to New Zealand and this sort of work continued, right? And, well, I and- think in New Zealand, it's kind of this thing like, oh my gosh, if you've worked in Australia, you've got to be amazing. Uh, it's yeah. this really weird mindset that people have. So when I came back in here, that was like, I didn't have to prove myself. They were like, oh, she's styled in Sydney. Yeah. She'll be awesome. And I was okay. thinking to myself, I've literally styled, you know, 14, 13, 14-year-old girls for Dolly magazine. Yeah. Very different kettle of fish. Yeah. It was quite sort of frou-frou. Was that back in the 80s? Um, 90s. 90s. Yeah. It was still yeah. It was all shoulder pads, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was, um, yeah, it was very teen-based. Yeah. Very, what was yeah. it like? Just remind me, because, I mean, I was a 90s girl. I thought it was still quite shoulder paddy back then. Just uh, me It had definitely stuff. moved away from, from that. It was, I mean, in the art... The main fashion director, she was a freaking bitch, but she had an amazingly good eye. Yeah. Um, and she was very, she really took it from this kind of annoyingly kiddie space into quite a cool kind of design aesthetic. Mm. And I think her hard-assness mm. actually put me in really good stead as well because mm. she broke so many people and I just learnt underneath her to have it, have it like water off a duck's back. And stick it out. Yeah, yeah pretty, you, you just got a bit unbreakable under her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you came back and you could just work for anybody, eh? Totally. You should, you just yeah, I was like, I worked for her. You're all sweet. Yeah. Yeah, those are quite good ropey lessons to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, did some of that, uh, you know, that sounds like that job did involve encouraging boldness in some of the people that you were dressing. And did you sort of bring some of that spirit back to New Zealand or when you got back here, was it sort of like a bit of a non-event? How did you find that transition? Uh, so in New Zealand, I did predominantly um, celebrity stuff here or like high fashion. Yeah. So I was never really working with your general person. So we always had really strong design briefs. Yeah. And when you're working with those sort of briefs, they're always really colourful. You never get a brief because, you know, nobody wants it in a fashion magazine where the colours are muted or blur because yeah. it holds no impact. So everything we did was around colour and creating okay. art-type pieces. Mm. Mm. So strong, so strong persona stuff. Yeah, very strong. Yeah. And then I did yeah. a lot of, um, you know, production for Fashion Week here and Fashion Week in Australia too. And oh. that's that's very art-based, not trends, but, you know, it's really not trends-based because they try oh. to create a spectacle of yes. where people go, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting in a way that you didn't sort of come out of that formative. I mean, I went to art school and, you know, I, I could have like gone and done fashion or, you know, some set design. I'm thinking about, um, oh, I'm thinking about Tracy Collins and I'm thinking yes. about people like, <laughs> cool people like her that have a lot yeah. of line. And, you know, I knew Tracy and, you know, the Jenny Dollar Gels and, you know, people like that that had sort of like a degree of theatrics to their work. Yeah. And, you know, like you you got this really interesting kind of commercial edgy opportunity. Mm. Um, I mean, those girls were all sort of part of my era, a little bit older than me. But, you know, um, you just got this kind of interesting sidekick that turned into a, a, a job job. Yeah. And, you know, those girls went down a slightly different avenue. Um Yeah. But you probably call me a sellout, right? That's kind of that. <laughs> I got accused of that when I stepped into advertising, actually. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, I know what you mean. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, because you've kind of morphed from this traditional art space into a very commercial space and you're, you're essentially yeah. a sellout, right? Making some money. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the thing is that you're lucky because you didn't sort of do, in a way, that sort of formative stuff. You know, mm. you got a bit of a break and you probably learned a lot on the job as well. Yeah. Which was always really valuable and, and sort of hands-on. So, yeah. you know, the, the company that you started and flew in the face of some trends that you were seeing at the time mm. I'm interested in, in a little bit. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, that was another one of those situations which I never intended to do it. Mm. So I was styling full-time and I was just upcycling furniture on the side as something fun. Um, yeah. And I started posting them. And it literally, like, went burko. And 
it sort of grew to about 10,000 in about like four weeks. It was really, really quick. And this was back like, I don't know, eight years ago or whatever. And I remember sitting there going, oh shit, you know, now I've got something and I don't know what to do with it. I don't come from a business background. I come from an arts background. I don't know how to monetize this in any capacity. And I didn't even know what I was doing. Mm. That was the thing. Yeah. And then it was, you know, like my husband going, you know, you've got this audience, you've got to try and monetize it. And then it was me trying to figure out how. And so over the years, we've tried so many things going, what is it going to look like? How do I make money? And then um, I ended up at the Ice House. So I went through um, uni with, um, oh, my God, Juliet Hogan, uh, Catherine. Wilson. Catherine Wilson. Yep. Um, it was Catherine that said to me, go to the ice house. So I went to the ice house and um, I was paired with someone and they invested straight off the bat. So I was thinking in my naivety, great. I've got somebody who's really business savvy, who's going to help me turn this audience into a way I can make money. And it was the worst decision mm. that I could have ever made. Mm. Okay. So why was that? Um, very different backgrounds, two different. Um, and you mean their vision wasn't aligned with yours in no, in no way, shape or form. So for years, we just butted heads. It it ended up like, it sounds really crazy, but the catalyst for me was he was always at this point, I think we had about sort of 30 or 40,000 across the social media platform. Um, so still not that big. And he was like, you know, you've got to do white sheets white sheets, white sheets. And it became this argument between us all the time over white sheets because I was like, there's no way I'm doing white sheets. It's completely pointless. And that was the kind of... What's a white sheet? Well, so his thinking was, at this point, I was doing quite a few different interior products, trying to figure out what was going to sell and what wasn't. And he was... White bed linen sheets. Yeah, he was like, just do white sheets because everybody needs white sheets. Okay. Bread and butter stuff. Totally, totally. And that was a point that I was like, we are never, ever going to align in our thinking. Um, So, And and I think it set me back years. I really do. Yeah. Because we argued the whole time. Mm. And the business never grew because of that naive partnership from the get-go. And I think that was a really valuable business lesson Mm. for me was to actually trust your gut enough in that instance, and don't get, you know, swayed by somebody who comes in with money because yeah. it can actually destroy you. Yeah, that's such a valuable lesson. Now, I thought that that, uh, you know, for people listening too, you know, like the money thing is just, you know, mm-hmm. it's a shiny thing, right? It's like yeah. almost a risk. It's a rescue magnet. Yeah. And you think it's going to, like, bring you all or make all your dreams come true. And I, I imagine at that sort of startup stage, it's it's very yeah. seductive and exciting, right? Yeah. You get that kind of dopamine rush. But I thought that with the Ice House thing, it would have been uh, not just the money. It would have been the synergies between the partnership that would have been fully explored too. Yeah, there were just none. Mm, but I yeah. thought you guys would have worked that through, like an investor would have just worked that through. Well, it was literally in our first meeting. And he, I think he just saw the numbers we had yeah. Yeah. and he was like, cool, I'm investing down. I'm in. Yeah, it was I'm quite in. quick, impulsive. Very, very quick. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you just, you didn't give him white sheets when you said goodbye. That was but not. Yeah, but it took years. It probably took five years, five, six years before um, it was, I ended up buying him out. Yeah. Uh, and then fortuitously, I had somebody come up to me um, and say, I'll buy. Would you would oh. you sell and let me in? Um, oh. And I said, no, 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 for ages. Yeah. Um, and then it was turned out to be fantastic. Come, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So I've got business partners now who are totally on the same page as me, see the same vision, different Great. kettle of fish. Yeah, yeah, such a valuable lesson, though, you know, that money isn't always, like, the solution and you've got to pick your business yeah. part really, really carefully because they can just, as yeah. you say, you lose time and they sort of slow you down. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it's sort of been, that was torturous. So um, you pursued your vision and so you have Miss Lolo now and I checked mm. it out on the website, it looks really cool. So you've got these wallpapers, you've got for wet yeah. spaces and you've got, commercial you've got residential mm-hmm. it looks like really passionate about commercial I'm just interested yeah. in what 
drives you to enjoy commercial more? Uh, I like commercial more because I find people are a little bit more ruthless. Like, mm. um, you know, you go into these meetings and I did one with um, Leo Malloy for his headquarters bar. Uh, and that was interesting. It was, um, you know, I came with all my samples and he was literally like, hate it, hideous, hate it, gross, yeah. never use it, love it, done. I want that. You know, and I like that. There's no yeah. mucking around. Yeah. They know exactly what they want. Yeah. And then it's just a case of execution. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you think, though, that people are a little bit more, um, well, just less risk adverse on in workplaces? You know, home's a bit more of a sanctuary and people are a bit more precious. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, for sure. And I think, but the difference with commercial is, um, you know, the time it takes me to do a commercial or, you know, work with somebody on a commercial is almost the same time as it takes me to do somebody on a house, yet the value of the sale would be astronomically more as well in the commercial space. And then also you get um, a lot more, you know, the you know, I've done um, all the Lilo rebrands um, in Auckland and around the country and I'm doing them through Australia. So you get really good marketing off them as well. And the photos look awesome. And often you don't get photos in people's houses or sometimes you do and then not ones you could use. Or It's just got a little bit more pop and fizz. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I like the fastness of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Leo gave me, I, I, I can't what the meterage was for his bar. It was just ridiculously huge. Um, and he asked me how quick I could print it. And I said, look, at a push, we could do it in 48 hours. And he said, like, at a push, I'll give you 24. Oh, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, then you print overnight and you get it done. But I really like that. Mm, I like yeah. that pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to, that kind of segues into my next question. I was just going to talk to you about, you know, owning your own business. And I mean, that requires, you know, energy and drive and discipline. People Mm. often think, you know, they get a bit dreamy about owning your own business. And I've owned Mm. my art school and, you know, I was actually ended up sort of working seven days. It was, it was Mm -hmm. far from dreamy, um, you know, and working long hours in that business until I sold it. So I think, you know, going from, you know, a classroom where you work in a conventional school to sort of owning your own art school, it's far from dreamy. Um, So I was just interested in your sort of take on owning your own business, Um, just the full and candid picture about what that looks like for you, you know, and and are there drawbacks? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I think so. You know, there are times where I'm extremely stressed you know, you don't hit a target one week and then, you know, you're kind of playing catch up and then you'll have an amazing week the following week, but sometimes you lose the foresight to know that, you know, to have the faith that it's coming back in. Um, That can be difficult to manage, those varying stress levels. Um, I don't get very little downtime. And even when we are on holiday, my husband now knows that we have to go to somewhere where I can literally literally sit by the pool with Wi-Fi and work because I don't have the ability to turn it off. My brain is on all the whole time yeah and you're probably like picking places to holiday I mean I could be wrong but were you going to get a little bit of inspo at the same time yeah for sure yeah, yeah. you're not just going to go and just look at a you know a horizontal line yeah. of sea and sand and sky for 14 days you know and when that's you- that like even when yeah. I was at the edge here in concert with my kids I've got my camera out because I'm going oh my god that's one of his visuals that he had up. I was like, that component of that, the colors would look amazing as a wallpaper. So I'm photographing them, yeah, flicking yeah. them through to my designer. Yeah. So, you know, your yeah. brain is always on. Yeah, I was going to say, you're just always on, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, when you're a business owner, you just don't have that luxury of switching off. But when you work for someone else, hey, you know, you're out of offices on and yeah. um, you get that ability to just kind of walk away. So, yeah, I, 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 to- I totally hear you. And, you know, if a client's, Screaming and they need servicing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't just wait. Yeah, completely switch off. And you're right about that flux of income. So you know it's peaks and troughs. And I mean, how did you find COVID? What What was that like for you? Um, we actually were okay over COVID. We um we were pretty consistent the whole way through, which I was surprised at. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wondered. I no, mean, we were I, lucky. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's oh, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, I read a few of your blogs and was quite interested in maximalism as mm. a design trend for 2023, that kind of sort of, you know, rumbunctiousness, that sort yeah. of larger-than-life reaction and 
wondered if, you know, the sort of the dopamine colours that are sort of effervescent and coming back was a reaction to the sort of dreary COVID, post-COVID era. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think dopamine dressing as a style is going to be the absolute dominant style over the next couple of years, particularly because so many people now are working from home. And, mm. uh, you know, I think there's also so much more, men, you know, talk around mental health yeah. and the impact that that has. So why would you not have a workspace that was inspiring and colourful and, you know, you wanted to go to, even if it's just a small office in your house every day? I think yeah. that's been a really big change from COVID yeah. and the amount of people working from home. Yeah, yeah. Do you think though that Kiwis are a bit recessive, like that, like the attitudes around color? You know, we're shrinking violets compared to say, you know, Aussies and Americans. Yeah, and that's been really interesting. So we only took the brand into Australia at the start of the year, and we kind of didn't know what it was going to do, and it was picked up instantly. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, it was a very slow, yeah, slow burn. And you know, I just, one thing just here. That. Yeah. 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 Just just looking at it I, and knowing Kiwis as I do, I would have thought that might have been the case. And it yeah. would have been more uptick, you know, in Australia yeah. and definitely in America. Yeah, and people argue with me about, oh, you know, it's because it's got a much larger um, population. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's the same advertising spend going into Australia as there is going into New Zealand, but they definitely pick it up more. Yeah. And on so, a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a partnership with Razine? Yeah. Yeah. So how does that work? Um, they just have our range in their stores in New Zealand, not in Australia. Oh, okay. uh, so it's just sold as one of their other ranges. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I just noticed that you often reference their paint palette. Yeah. And their colors, yeah, with yeah. your work. And, okay, great, great. And um, are you in retail in Australia? No, and I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm going to hold as um, e-commerce only over there we do um, we've got some really good links with some of the larger commercial and interior designer companies over there yeah. and that's really where I want to see it go mm. yeah so you'll sort of work almost like b2b in Australia we still and ha- have yeah we'll still have the website and every and we still sell off the website but that is yeah. where I would want to dedicate my time yeah into so, that, yeah. that and section. consultancy sort of basis yeah yeah specialists and things like that yeah so so how how's it working say in America for you um America I haven't really I haven't really touched the sides of America yet I was fortuitous and that I got um an amazing five-level brownstone over there that I've been working on um and they put a lot of the wallpapers and fabrics through but that was a one-off kind of really lucky link Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mm -hmm. I haven't I have a collab coming out with a really large Australian brand over the next yeah. coming sort of month, and yeah. she has just maxed out the Australian market, and she's just tapping the American now. So my thinking was to kind of work along her yeah, philosophy I- as well, which was just let's capitalise on Australia and then go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge market, America. And yes. It's, um, it's almost almost smarter to go state by state than it is to sort of just tackle the wider yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, wider, the wider market and go, which states do you think are going to have in a kind of alliance to the what? To the and work it's funny, like I initially thought it would be uh, New York and LA, um, but then after I've had a few consults over there and everyone has said Texas. Ah, oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Which I would never have picked. So. Okay, so, so tell me why Texas? Oh, I, I really don't know. Their thinking was everything, you know, everything's bigger and bolder and they're more confident yeah. as personality types. It's uh, in terms of like new build and growth, it's the biggest, it's a state that has the biggest growth at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And of course, I mean, discretionary spend something that's, um, it, it's a big one, right? Because right yeah. now we're in a global recession too. And so that's, that's a factor as well. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, your your work's quite sunny and gregarious, and so you want you want to be in places where you know folk are going to be able to you know have a response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we talk about um, wellness in all forms on this podcast. You're probably familiar with that, and so 
as someone who's sort of established a company to fight um, the beige epidemic, as, as you call it, what importance do you think the spaces that, you know, that we live in, work in, sort of have an impact on our mood and creativity and well-being? Just interested in sort of, I guess, your sort of response to colour yeah. as well thing. I think there's a lot that needs, a lot more work that has to happen around colour and the impact that that has on mental health. I, you know, I, you see it when you walk into hospitals that it's still not being utilised or mental health facilities to its fullest. And I think it's a real shame. For me, I want, I actually hope, like people get frustrated because when they see me, they'll often see white walls behind me. But what they don't see is that my house is literally an art gallery. So in every, every space that there is space, there is mm. art that is filled with colour. So for me, I have to have that when I walk into my house. I have to be hit by items that I love, that are bright and colourful, that make me feel happy. And I have lots of areas of the house that people may say are cluttered, but it's just all sorts of cool shit that I've collected over the years that I've collated. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of quite eclectic. And I did read that article and stuff from 219 where you sort of talk about your house being like a gallery and you've collected over time and you came from a family of artists. And I thought it was really interesting how, you know, you kind of buy the art first and then you sort of populate the house around the art, (laughs) Uh, which is really interesting. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, in my former life, I I was a mid-career artist and, you know, I was always making work. In fact, I couldn't really go a night without getting into the garage and making work. Um, And then I guess over time that impulse has sort of dried up and my energies have gone more into marketing and communications and I'm creative, but in a different way, in in this way, in a communications way. Um, So, but but to get to to your point, um, you know, I I recently bought a home and I really enjoyed kind of picking out all the furniture and the art was last because Ah. I kind of bought all the big stuff, got it into place. And I was really, and I, you know, I do hate to admit this, this time I wanted a grown-up's house and I wanted something really monochromatic and quite restful and sort of cool and chic because I've always lived with, um, you know, things that are quite busy and I haven't really been a minimalist over the years. So it's I sort cool of... To, like, it's also cool to have that monochromatic and the old pop of colour because it makes yes, the pop of colour yeah. like really stand out. Yeah, and that's kind of what I did. And so I thought I do want something that's sort of, you know, I bought an emerald green thing in a circle and a nice piece. It's quite sort of shot of colour and 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 I sort of, I've gone that way. But I was, I've been really selective. I've got a really good art collection, but I have to say most of it's in storage because it was sort of part of a life where I owned big family homes and different kinds yeah. of homes. And I've downsized now and I don't really just want to put stuff up for the sake of it. I want to be quite, you know, careful about what I put on the wall. Mm. I'm living this minimalist life now with where less is more. I don't know what to do with that art. That's the truth. I don't want to rotate just them, rotate yeah. them out. Yeah, but they have to fit the spaces, right? You don't just bang yeah. shit up on the wall for the sake of it. It has to really kind of suit the character of the space. And so they're just sort of in storage at the moment. I don't know whether to take them to webs and just sell them or. Um, yeah, I mean, I might eventually just do that and buy art that suits this place, mm. you know. But I think, like, it, it was interesting that the art was last, not first. And so I read your article with interest because you buy first and then you kind of yeah. put things around the yeah. art. I, mean, yeah. I think it's really great that you kind of do prioritise. You say the walls first. Yes. And then <laughs> flow from the walls. Yeah. And that's really great because a lot I mean, of people don't do that, you know. They just do that kind of last. Yeah, I guess for me it's like I will love a piece of artwork and I can take a leather yeah. couch. So yeah. yeah. That's yeah, why no, I would hero it in this space. Yeah, yeah, and I totally get it. And I think whenever I've moved in, in previous life, you know, before this home, the first thing I would do is get the art up on the wall. It was always the first thing that I did. Mm. I'd get all my art out of the boxes and I'd be hammering. I'd always hang my own work. And I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, I'd go, oh, you know, I'd almost like relax once yeah. everything the wall um so it was kind of you know interesting to read that and I thought about how I'd always bang stuff up on the wall first um but with this home I think because it's so much smaller um yeah. I was kind of a bit daunted because I had so much art um I thought I'd better just get the the, the new furniture package in and see what space was left yeah was which was sort of what I ended up doing but I do agree with you that it's 
it's better to kind of fill a wall if you've got a wall with smaller pieces than just have one piece kind of hanging, you know? And, and I think I think that's where the wallpaper has been really popular yes. for people who aren't confident in buying art. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less, there's less thought involved. It's just that I love that piece. Yeah. I love that wallpaper. And that is now going to be the art in the space. Because yeah. it yeah. is, you, you can't put art on top of my wallpaper. It would be uh, an abomination yeah. on both. Yeah. yeah. And and even just, you know, crazy feature walls, right? Even yeah. if you don't want to go the whole hog, but just put a really gutsy piece of paper down on one piece of wall even. Yeah. At least. And it, it, looks you really know, and it is a cheaper option than art often as well. Mm-hmm. We'd like to take a short break to thank NatureBee, who are powering this season of AdSource. You can find out more about health and wellness from the hive by visiting www.naturebee.com. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to like, review and follow AdSource. Can I play devil's advocate? Because I think you've got the personality to go there. I want to talk to you about oh. prints. <laughs> I don't buy prints. Did you? Did you? Um, did you read my background? I don't. Which part? That I've got a master's in printmaking. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. I, personally, I don't buy art prints. I know. Yeah. You made a comment that you don't buy prints because you like buy originals. And yeah. I, my eyebrows shot up like this when I read that comment because I'm going to give the print a plug in this podcast. And you're an influential person. And people are going <laughs> to read your stories, your, your articles, and they're going to probably follow suit. But I'm going to give you a plug because I, st- I, I, and you a plug, but I'm also going to give the print a plug because I think that the print needs a plug. Um, I, yeah, I'm a printmaker, but I never actually really additioned my prints. I made original mm. prints because I really loved the process, the surprise factor of, of pulling a print because a print is simply a transfer method where you lift paper off a plate and you don't always know what something's going to look like when it comes off the press. So you can have, so there's magic in that process. And I, I loved that personally as a maker. Um, so you can have an original print uh, number one and mm. it can it can be valuable because it's just one of and so I actually made installations for my masters like large wall and floor installations that collectors purchased um, and they own large collections and they have these large things on their walls and beautiful concrete houses but they were transfer methods on aluminium sheets and things like that um, but my point here is you can have an original print that's of high value. You can have a limited edition print of two, three, and four, and they will actually all have unique factors to them. Um, or you can have, you know, our amazing printmakers like Rodney Farmston, Carol Shepard, Barry Cleveland, who just love the, the craft of, you know, making beautiful prints, editions of 20, 30, and 40. And there is a place for a beautiful print on a wall. And oh, you don't show sure. up. Don't get the scale of a painting, but they're they're original works of art, and they're accessible for people who can't afford paintings. For well, so, sure, and, you know they're yeah. not poor men's they're not poor men's pieces, you know. And over the years, we've sold thousands of prints. So we did we did ranges for years and years of of prints, and we sold loads and loads of them. So I yeah. totally get it. Mm. I just wanted to give the print a plug because I think I think <laughs> I mean I've I've given I've bought a lot of prints myself and you know I think what's really interesting too is this whole shift into digital prints right mm-hmm. digital prints I mean I bought uh recently bought a Carl Morn digital print and I find the politics of print and this conversation that just keeps rotating about printmaking really interesting and there's just immense in the print world you know the digital print you know what's its value where's its value um how do collectors see its value um, there's some very beautiful digital prints around too. Um, yeah. And just even the value of the print, like on the secondhand market now, you know, a Carl Morn print, you'll actually pay more at Webs now for a Carl Morn print than you will actually waiting for one, a new one at, at Gowlingsford Gallery. It's quite yeah. interesting just, you know, just even, you know, the print, um, just looking at the value of the print, you know, they're going up and up and up. Yeah. So 
just just thought I'd throw in there that <laughs> <laughs> the print, you know, the print's got some lofty, some lofty. Oh yeah, for sure. They are quite, they are quite beautiful. The, the tactile surface of a print. There's if you buy not necessarily a screen print, but an etching or mm. you know a mixed media print. They are they're quite beautiful. You know, collagraphs are quite are quite beautiful as well. Um, yeah, so you're a, you're a collector. Have you got any space in your house, or is it all cupboard? We've always got space in the house. We find space. <laughs> we, you're always, you know. Yes, that, we like just move, move stuff around and find extra space for stuff. Okay. Can I can I ask you a question? I find mm. moving things around, furniture in particular, mentally exhausting. Like I find it a bit stressful. I always have. I don't know if it's because I'm a Korean. Oh my! Are you? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I tend like to move. I tend well. I don't move the furniture. I lead, if you ask my husband, he will say I have terrible spatial awareness. Um, so I let him do that, and then wow. I just do the wall. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So yeah. you don't have judgments on where the things go. Mm-mm, no. Oh, oh I will just do the walls. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but you do like moving things around. Yes. You like the change. Yes. I do. Well, yeah. yes. Well, we are about to up and move our whole house. <laughs> well, are you are you out of Riverwood? Are you? Yeah. Uh, uh, we're actually in Ellerslie, but we are actually oh. moving permanently to Australia. Are you? Oh, yeah. No. Another talented Kiwi family leaving about, us. About about six weeks. <laughs> are you really? That's big yeah. news. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, where are you off to? We're off to Brisbane. Oh, are you? Well, that's good weather up there. So, what's yeah. made you make that decision? Political views, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my gut is um, the country is probably in too large of a mess that it's it's going to impact my children too much um, in the time that it's going to take to get out of it. Um, so my oldest is seventeen and my youngest is ten, um, and I didn't want them to go through that. Yeah. So, do, you, well, do you think that with the recent changes with the Australia perspective now for Kiwis too, that's making a huge difference for us as Kiwis? Yeah. Yeah. It's just that it, main. I'm like a huge advocate for education, um, yeah. and our new education curriculum is an abomination. So um, that was kind of my main mm. aim to get the kids out, mm. uh, and then you know, the health system, the whole yeah. kit and caboodle. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just we just made a call. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be so you're going to so you're going in the school year. So the kids are going to go into school during the school year. Mm. So did you say you've got a child that's seventeen? Yeah. So that's going to be a bit more challenging because high school is a two year program. She's out of yeah. She's out of school. Um. So she is at culinary school. So she was going into culinary school over there. So that it's just a little the younger two. One's at primary, uh, one's at the equivalent of intermediate. Okay, yeah. Hey, on at Source, I interviewed Matt Galinsky, who's up in the Sunshine Coast. He's a oh, amazing. Yeah, he's he's really cool. You might want to check that episode yeah. out. Yeah, he's such a great guy, and he's doing some really amazing things with food, and um, just looking at food from the source, like getting food at source, and he works up in Noosa. So you might want to connect with him, yeah, and just certainly listen to his episode and follow what he's up to. He's, yeah, awesome. he, lives, he lives up in Noosa on this amazing hinterland. Um, yeah, and he used to work up at the Peppers Restaurant up in Noosa, but you know he was on the TV show and he's quite yeah. a celebrity chef up up that way. Oh, wicked! Yeah, he's really great. Um, so yeah, I'd just be interested just to talk about you know. I mean, and this is particular to New Zealand, we talk about, you know, tall poppy syndrome here. Mm. Um, you know, have you sort of experienced, had any direct or ind- indirect experiences with tall poppy syndrome where yeah. it's difficult, you know, to be sort of a bit a bit of a standout here and you sort of have felt a bit cut off at the knees at times? Yeah, I think it's really, really bad in New Zealand. Oh, Terrifically bad, yeah. Mm. Um, it's almost like... There's this kind of feeling that if you've done well, you should kind of put it down to good luck. You know, I've been really lucky. Yeah. Um, well, I've had zero luck. It's everything I've done has been absolute because I really, really hard work. Yeah. And I think okay. it's a real shame that Kiwis can't go, 
I'm in this position because I'm really freaking good at what I do. Mm. And Americans are so good at it. They, t- you know, take their own horn all the time, yet we're so self-deprecating here. Mm. Oh, you know, like, yeah, I was really lucky that I got that contact. Oh, I was so lucky that I got, you know, that collab. So it was not, it's not yeah. like yeah. that you're just really, really good. And you've earned it. That's yeah. what it is. And why can't we say that? I don't know. Yes, yeah. So, so basically it's just you're not allowed to kind of even to come out and just be able to verbally back yourself with that sort of yeah. confidence. It's just sort of you're not yeah. meant to do that. It's not the it's thing. It's frowned upon here. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's egocentric. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, do, do you think that, you know, as, as um, that, that's a cultural thing, right? That's sort of a bit yeah, imperial culture. So yeah. do you think as parents we should be – almost reversing that, tipping it on its head and encouraging yeah. it, you know, just to be a little bit more forthright and, and be able to back themselves. Yeah, I think so. And I see it in, um, I see it in within the schools already, This where they, they kind of dumb it all down, you know, like there are no winners, everyone yeah. gets a medal for participation, right? Well, that's not the real world. There are people that are significantly better than you in some things and there are things that you're really crap at and that's all good yeah Yeah, take the failures and take yeah yeah and yeah and realize that you're not always going to be able to yeah get it get a a, an a or a or you might get a d or you might i know and that that does come back a little bit to our education system where it's all been very very neutralized out right Yeah. yeah yeah definitely Hey, you know, you know, I was just going to take you back to um, this beige, beige land business. Um, sh- you know, French, French, shabby chic. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. It's last yeah. girl back in the day. Yeah, not French. my jam. French market. I don't know. I just find it French land. No, yeah, I know. French. I know what you're saying. It's a bit. Wow, for me, yeah, it was you know with the flaking that. paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rustic, flaky. I, yeah, you know, I don't. Very subtle, sort of, you know, peeled back, kind of tasteful, sort of. It was a very. It's a very hard one to kind of bring in and have a piece of French. That kind of style. Well, that know, it was. It was kind of. You could have it. You could definitely have a beige wooden chair in front of that. This, with this, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A vanilla vanilla yeah. beige chair would work well with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That definitely wasn't my style, especially when they did whole rooms in it. No, it frilly no. over the top. I don't do frilly. Flaking. No, no, no. <laughs> flaking. Yeah. And flaking yeah. But- Distressed was the key Distressed, word. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just sort of, you know, curious because in that world of interiors, I mean, on Vogue, you know, it's often mm. like page. It's often a glossy mm. image in the world. Yeah, that's why I don't follow those bloody interior mags because it is so, it's so thematic. It's like, why does it have to have an actual theme? You know, you know, you have to follow a minimalist theme. You have to follow a maximalist theme. You have to follow yeah. Whatever beige boring theme, you know, just have what makes you happy. That's it. Yeah. I mean it's, it's my theme. It's often a leopard rug with a you know, <laughs> with a sort of a, like a zebra thing on the floor yeah. with a sort of a, a a glass chandelier and a rustic chair with a uh sort of a flax center and a you know, a glass table and it is eclectic, but there's always something shabby chic in there. Uh, you know, in beige, and yeah, it seems to be quite a universal thing that runs through tasteful, you know, upper class kind <laughs> of bourgeois thinking. It just seems yeah, like it's weird we away from it, right? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird I'm that, not, I'm <sighs> yeah. I mean, and I just sort of think, you know, we talk about social and we talk about Instagram and these days, and we talk about these sort of, you know, TikTok and these very powerful channels but we these glossy magazines are still quite powerful from an editorial um perspective aren't they they haven't really gone away I mean we've yeah yeah. you see them popping up on Instagram a lot as well and particularly Pinterest too um yeah yeah Pinterest and people I think people 
they just, I think there's a lot of people that just aren't confident in their, in their own actual ability or they worry about what somebody is going to think of their home when they come into it. And at mm. the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. Somebody comes into it for an hour, you know. What comes back to where you start. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which who is cares? like, here's what people think. I yeah. mean, it's all going to live and do the things that make you happy. Don't be a trendsetter or a trend follower or mm. enlist the advice of somebody that inspires you to help you to kind of find your way if you're not yeah, sure. If- yeah, and there's some amazing, I don't can't even list them now, but like people that I follow on Instagram who have these insanely maximalist houses that even for me, I'm like, God, that's a lot. But to look at them, you're like, oh my God, it's so awesome. You know, mm. you get such that like, oh, how cool is that space? Yeah. And you may not like all of it because a lot of them are over the top, but there's elements that you can pick out and go, I would love that. I would totally have that wall. I would totally yep. have that couch. That's right. And, and I suppose that's where it gets interesting because things are eclectic. Can I just ask you before we do go, because I know you've got a bit mm. of time today, just back to you. What do you do to look after yourself, like for healthy fitness? Um, I am really, I have a very, very fixed routine. So I am up at 4.40 every morning. Yo, yo, yeah. 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 Um, nice and, yeah. So I'm up at 4.40. I do kids' lunches, I do a load of washing, I empty a dishwasher, I have a coffee, and then I go to the gym. Mm. And everyone is, whenever I say that, people are like, oh, my God, that added so much stress. You know, why would you do that? For me, that's my one point during the day where I get, you know, an hour and a half completely to myself. I don't have kids. I don't have anything where I need to, you know, be for somebody else. It's just my time of the day. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And you have to carve it out. You have to actually find some some time. And yeah. I know, yeah. And I know that you know that's your time. And if you've got to get up that early to do it, you will seize it and you'll take it. Yeah. Just, just in terms of your own health, I know you've had your own battles. You've had, mm. um, I believe that you've been a survivor of breast cancer. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you've come, you've come through that. Um, how was that journey for you? Oh, I got breast cancer young. So I was 37 and I know people will have their different opinions on it. But at the time I was styling full time. I had four young kids and I was doing Miss Lolo. So I had this crazy, I had no balance in my life whatsoever. Yeah. And the day before I was diagnosed, my husband said to me, if you don't slow down, you're going to kill yourself. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I honestly think because I was taking no advice from anybody that the universe literally said to me, I'm going to put you on your ass and you're going to sort your shit out. Mm. And I think that's, that's exactly what it did. It was like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Very yeah. all of a sudden I've got cancer. Mm. And um, then I had to go through the whole treatment, yeah. full mastectomy, right. you know, and really reevaluate everything. Yeah. And, and so over that period of time, you would have obviously slowed down, gone through the treatment, had a bit mm. of a reframing for yourself. Yeah. And you came out the other side. And what was the key lessons that you learned through that? Priority was, okay. yeah, what do I actually want to do? And at that point, I was like, I'm really not enjoying styling. It takes a lot of time away from the company that I actually want to grow. So my husband was like, cool, stop it. Just call it, don't do another day. And that's what I did. And then all focus went on to that. And then it was, I started exercising pretty much straight away. Um, It was just walking back then because that's all I could do. So I would just get up. I think it was like at 6 a.m. in the morning then. And it was just an hour walking on my own. And it was Mm. just getting those routines in place to set my mind and mental health up to battle the day. Whereas before it was like chaos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I so sort of sort of helped you to reset your mindset. Yeah. Just sort of reframe your day. And do you think that do you do we we were sort of really drawn to color? Do you think do you think yes. that okay, so it wasn't like this pivot to like the bigness of no. color no, no, it was always in you. Yeah. Yeah. So indicative of, you know, you having more more of a positive outlook or anything. That was just always just in you. It yeah. was who, who you you are. So 
I mean, if, if other women were listening, say, to us today, and they're going through that experience, what would, would be your advice to somebody listening? I think the, one of the biggest lessons I learned was when you get diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't actually mean you're dying. Right. <laughs> that was yeah. a really big lesson for me to learn. Because um, initially when I, told, when I was hit, because I didn't know anybody who'd gone through cancer and come mm. out the other side. You know, I'd known older people who had passed away from cancer. Um, mm. So that was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And then once you realize, like, actually, you're not. Yeah. Um, you've just, you it's, and this. my, yeah, my surgeon at the time, he was like, you just got to look at it as like this really annoying blip on your health, mm. life health. That's mm. it. You've done your blip, you're out the other side, and you carry on again. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. Like a really positive. Outlook. Yeah. And- you embrace that, you know. And, you know, there's lots of online support. And I think be really, really careful with the online chat forums, particularly wow. the ones on social media, you know, the ones that you find on social media. Uh, there's elements that can be super, super helpful um, and really supportive. But also when you're on that journey and you've got other people who haven't been as lucky yes. and you see them you know, you, you see the post come up that, oh, it's just come back. And then you have, you know, it can be quite hard. Yeah. So I yeah. think be really, really wary of are you at a point where you can handle both mm-hmm. of those scenarios on your journey or do you yes. just need to just focus on yourself? Mm-hmm. Because when I was diagnosed, I think because it was quite public too at that point, and mm. I had loads phoning me for support and right. I would try to give my support. But at the same time, I was a mess myself and it was learning to go as much as I want to help you. I just need to look after myself in this moment. Yeah. You didn't have a lot of capacity to be like brimming over and kind of in a space yeah. to back too much to other people as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. you've you got to really watch that. Mm. Because That's people right. will come to you. Oh, my friend's just been diagnosed. What What do you suggest? Who should I see? Um, what sort of do I do a mastectomy? Do I do a partial? Do I what sort of recon? You know, and it's don't feel obliged to step in and help everyone. Yeah, that's really great advice. Yeah, you need some reserve to look after you. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been great to chat. I just want to say a huge thanks. I've loved your energy. And oh, uh, thank you. My lack of filter. Yeah, it's, no, it's been yeah. awesome. I've really enjoyed our connection today. And um, I do actually wish you all the best. I think we're going to miss you. Um, but I totally understand why you'd be, um, you know, having this change in your in your life. And, um, yeah. yeah, I just wish you all the best with Next Steps and your break into the Aussie market. Thank um, you. It's going to go really well. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for being part of our AtSource community. No worries. Anytime. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. The advice shared in this podcast exists purely for information purposes and should not be relied upon to make a health and wellness decision. We recommend you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your personal health and well-being. AtSource does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions.